So what we then do, and that's a typical scenario, what we then do is we say, all right, how can we get low pressures under the car and how can we measure that we're actually achieving that? And if you look under most amateur race cars, uh, I'm not that familiar with open wheelers, but certainly most sedan-based amateur race cars, their underside is just a dog's breakfast. Welcome to the Your Data Driven Podcast. If you like this podcast, be sure to visit our website at yourdatadriven.com for more useful help and advice on setting up your race car, mastering data analysis, and driving faster. Welcome to episode 48. Today, I'm joined by Julian Edgar, all the way from Australia. Julian is an automotive journalist who's written a fascinating selection of books on suspension and aerodynamics. Today, we discuss aerodynamics in a bit of detail, but what's absolutely fascinating is how we can translate some of the theory on aerodynamics into very, very practical things that you can go out and try for very low money. So without further ado, as ever, sit back, grab a pen, grab a coffee. Let's enjoy what Julian has to say. Welcome, Julian. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's, it's really kind of you to join us all the way from uh, Australia. <laughs> it's often um, we get to talk to uh, people from the other side of the globe. So thank you for uh, taking the time. It's, I, I'm actually really fascinated and excited about how this conversation is going to go. It's a subject uh, around, well, we're going to talk a bit about aerodynamics on race cars and, and track cars. Um, but it's a subject that it's one of those things for me as a vehicle dynamics engineer I've always had there in the background and it's one of those ones you think you know I don't I know enough that I don't know enough about it if that makes sense and um yeah. so what would be fascinating I, I hope for people listening is to to get a bit of background on you and and then some of the work that you've done and it's, it's extensive uh work that you've done in this world of aerodynamics and but what I love about it is it's so practically focused. Yeah, so you're not talking about multi-million pound CFD computers, although I know you're familiar with all that. And so I'm, what I'm hoping is that we can really work towards uh, some takeaways. We've talked about that phrase a few times before the show, but just to, so that people can go away and actually either have a clearer idea of the aerodynamic development on their car. It's all what we hear about in Formula One all the time, but it doesn't really relate to them and their car. And maybe one or two things that they can go and try uh, to put into action and put this stuff um, to good use. So how, how does that sound as a bit of a challenge? Are we good? Yeah, no, look, that, that's absolutely fine. Um, I, I tend to specialise actually in road cars and not so much in race cars, but of course uh, 90% of the techniques can be directly applied to uh, race vehicles as well, um, especially those that run closed wheels. So not so much open wheelers, but especially closed wheels uh, race cars um basically everything that i can speak about can be applied to those vehicles as well yeah absolutely and, and okay well so this this is this is it and, and i suppose it's a little bit in terms of uh, similar to my world in terms of uh suspension and and such like it's you know this this yeah, it's the same equipment but it just has a different purpose but we can still learn from the different areas for example in in a road car the focus is very much on ride but we can look at all of those parameters for comfort and flip them 
in a race car environment and said actually those things are still relevant um even sure. though we don't mind making the drivers uncomfortable if they get a bit more grip um yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. well let's yeah. roll back a bit let's roll back and start with a bit of background on you uh, and, yep. and your involvement in motorsport you know or, or, or automotive and um yeah. you know tell us about yourself yeah, sure. So uh, my first career was as a school teacher. I was a school teacher for eight years uh, and enjoyed it. And I have kept teaching in various roles ever since. Um, but about uh, that time, after those eight years, I started writing about cars for uh, magazines and modified cars. And uh, I found basically I was able to earn more money in uh, writing about uh, cars and, and their modifications rather than teaching. And so I transitioned into being an automotive journalist uh, worked as a, a magazine journalist here in Australia, national print magazine editor. Um, and then uh, when you were teaching, were you teaching sort of those kind of those subjects? No, so was this just no not at all. No, I was a, a geography teacher. So uh, I taught geography and natural resources management, history, uh, things mom, of that sort. Was a geography teacher. <laughs> um, up, up, to senior, up to senior school and I enjoy it. And uh, that's uh, helped inform my view of the world ever since. Yeah. Um, but, uh, when I started, uh, in fact, just before I started being a, a journalist, I, I was becoming very interested in aerodynamics. And I read a seminal book of the time uh, by Husho, uh, a big German book that had been translated into, uh, into English. And it made me quite intrigued. And I decided to do some testing on my own road car. And the testing that I did was tough testing. And what it showed in terms of the airflows on that road car were just mind-boggling how bad that car was. And I became quite intrigued with this. And uh, uh, the first two freelance articles I actually sold were on aerodynamics and aerodynamic testing. And so that began my 40-year um, interest in, in aerodynamics. And uh, following tough testing, I then moved on to uh, pressure testing, where you can actually measure the aerodynamic pressures that are occurring on different panels of the car. And then I moved on to downforce testing, where you can directly test downforce and lift on a car. And then I moved on to drag testing, which is probably the hardest of the four, but you can still measure on the road or track variations in drag. And as this progressed, I was also writing books and uh, I wrote my first book on uh, car aerodynamics, which was basically a summary of articles that I had published. And then I uh, uh, wrote another major book on aerodynamics. And this time I had the help of a, of a professional automotive aerodynamicist, Dick Barnard, um, who, who was enormously helpful to me. And then uh, uh, in this uh, sequence of events, uh, earlier this year, I wrote a, a more major book on car aerodynamics, and the first book had become fairly well known, and so I was able to get the help of some really, really top aerodynamicists around the world. Um, you mentioned Rob Palin, ex-Tesla, and ex-Formula One. Uh, there's the book. Um, but also Dr. Jeff Howe was enormously helpful. Uh, Dr. Thomas Wolfe from Porsche was, was helpful. Dr. Adrian Gaylard uh, from, from Jaguar Land Rover. So I ended up having these incredible array of teachers helping me write this book, and uh, if, if I have any knowledge of aerodynamics, a lot of it has come from my hands-on testing, but also from those experts who were, were absolutely eager to uh, give freely of their time and their expertise. So Rob Palin, uh, just to, to fill you in on how I know Rob, I met Rob oh, Racing. Oh, sorry. Sorry, there we are. <laughs> you I met, met Rob? Rob Racing. Yeah, he, okay. we used to compete against each other in uh, this uh, car very similar to 
uh, the one you'll see behind me, or well, people can't see it, but um, that, that kind of uh, caterham style car. Yes. And for yes. an aerodynamicist, I always thought it was really amusing that he had picked probably one of the least aerodynamic cars to wreck. (laughs) He actually put it in the wind tunnel and he told me reliably one time that it was more, it had less drag going backwards than it did going forwards. And I was like, right, okay. (laughs) This is an interesting case study. Uh, You know, where, where do you go with that one? So what if you didn't have to rely on paddock folklore anymore? Get ahead of the curve. My weekly motorsports wisdom on driving, data and setup that you can read in just five minutes completely free. Join thousands of dedicated racing and track drivers getting one article every Thursday. If you're enjoying this podcast, then Ahead of a Curve is for you. Subscribers are the very first to know about new episodes. Get deeper discussions, expert interviews and behind the scenes racing stories. Head over to yourdatadriven.com and sign up for free today. Ahead of the Curve, where racing knowledge meets your inbox. And remember, you can also subscribe to the Your Data Driven podcast on any of your favourite podcast platforms. Yeah. Well, that's that's a fantastic story that you've you've been able to turn like passion and interest into this into this like your career in effect. Yeah, look, um, as I say, it, it it's been helped enormously by those people who've given their time and expertise, Rob. Uh, read every chapter of the new book. He commented uh, on every chapter, every paragraph. He uh, is an extraordinarily blunt person in his comments, and it was delightful to be able to include a lot of his comments verbatim in the book. Uh, I think they'll open uh, a few people's eyes. The the angry bees of vortices is one of his phrases, for example. So he's poetic as well as being a, a brilliant aerodynamicist. And uh, Rob, uh, they, they they broke the mould after they made Rob. He's been uh, extremely helpful to me. That's wonderful. So I've got so I've got some questions here, like, and um, I probably should, I mean, like, I probably should have picked this up over the years, but I haven't. So you mentioned sort of tough testing and stuff. Now, what what is that, and how do I what 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 am I actually kind of looking for, like, yeah. with these bits okay. of, of wool sticking on the thing? Because you said there were so there are four different bits of the aerodynamics. So yes. that's, it was interesting you mentioned drag being the hardest one because I think yes. there's a lot of people who may not realise I didn't realise that. So it'd be interesting to maybe go through some of those areas and then just sort of explore that a bit more, just in that in that practical sense of, you know, what can I do and and kind of is it is it even worth is it even worth it? You know, is it worth me sure. spending time on this? So tough testing is the unsung hero of amateur aerodynamics and also professional aerodynamics. So tough testing has been used for over 100 years in the development of cars. If you look back at the development of cars like the Porsche 356, um, Lamborghinis and so on, you'll often see photos of tufts being used on those cars. What is, so what tufts, is, a, what is a tuft for the best? Yep, yep. So, so tufts are small bits of yarn. So typically what I do if I need to produce 300 tufts is I'll wind a ball of wool around two fingers and then I'll cut through all the strands together. So you'll end up with a few hundred strands that are perhaps 50 millimetres, two inches long. You then stick them onto the car's bodywork and typically you just use masking tape of the sort that's used to, when a car's being painted so that you can take it off later without wrecking the paint. You can put your tufts in rows, you can put them randomly, it really makes no difference. And then when you have tufted the area of the car you're interested in, you don't typically have to do the whole car, you might do one side and then down the centre line, because the airflow is typically symmetrical either side of a longitudinal centre line of a car, 
you you drive the vehicle. Now you can observe from the road or the track side, you can photograph it from the road or the track side, or you can photograph or video it from a tracking car. So all three approaches can be used. Now, a lot of people stop at that point. They they see a car with fluttering tufts and they think that they're achieving something or or you know that this is going to result in an outcome, but they don't know what they're looking for. And well, would, uh, in the movie, just on the, I, would, I would hold my hand up at that point. In, in, in the movie, Ford versus, I'm like, I'm still not 100 sure what I should be looking at because like, okay. they're one way or the other way. So, like, what is it that I'm looking so, for? <laughs> so, in the movie, Ford versus Ferrari, or was it Ferrari versus Ford? I can't remember. They sort of drove this car around the track, and then that was it. They, they didn't even observe what the Tufts were doing. So, Tufts show two major aspects of airflow. The first thing that Tufts uh, show is the direction of airflow. So for example, if you have a vent on a on a bonnet or hood, is the airflow going into that bonnet or hood vent or is it coming out? So tufts will quickly show that. When you have tufts um, at the base of the windscreen, are the tufts showing airflow going over the top of the windscreen or are the tufts showing lateral airflow going around the sides of the windscreen? So the very first thing that Tufts will show are actual airflow directions under real aerodynamic pressures and flows. The second thing that Tufts will show, and this is typically more important, is they'll show where airflow is attached and separated. So attached airflow is when the airflow is being guided by the shape of the bodywork. So the airflow across the bonnet or hood of a typical road or race car is attached flow, and the Tufts all line up, they flutter very little, and they line up all one after the other, pointing in the direction of flow. In attached flow, the bodywork is actually guiding the airflow direction. Now, the other type of airflow is separated airflow. So in this case, the airflow is no longer being guided by the bodywork of the car. It's going its own way. And tufts in separated flow will flap wildly, Sometimes they'll um, point directly up from the bodywork at 90 degrees. Sometimes they will even point into the direction that you would expect the, the, the flow to be going. All right. So they're in random movement separated flow. Just, now, to, just to roll back a second. So how do I, I think you mentioned it, but just to make sure I got that. So how do I, if I'm driving a car, how do I see the tufts? Are you, are you, do you put cameras around or are you driving next you to it? I think, you, I think you mentioned something about that, but just to make sure that I'm clear, because I was sure. my question, if I'm on my own, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, if you're on your own, it's a lot harder. Um, if you're on your own, you can use a GoPro or something like that, but then you run the risk of upsetting the flow uh, with the presence of the GoFlow and the supporting structures. It's Tough testing is typically best done with two people or even three. Um, one person to drive the car, one person to observe, photograph, video. And if you are using a chase car, a third person to drive the chase car. Oh, so, so you, you, are... drive, you drive past someone. So, so I mean, they could, in practical sense, they could be on the pit wall, couldn't they? And then you, and you yes. drive past them. They just take some photos of the cars yes. going past and then, and then, right, okay. So then we can look at those photos afterwards and then for the kind yeah, of sure. uh, features or, or maybe a video or something like that, depending on. Yes. Right. Okay. Important thing to realize is you don't have to be going fast. You only have to be doing about 35 miles an hour, 60 kilometers an hour. Oh, really? Um, you, okay. you do not have to be going really fast. And of course, if you're only doing that speed, photographing, videoing, uh, or following in a chase car becomes a lot easier. So you've got two types of flow. You've got separated flow, you've got attached flow. 
the really important thing to realize is if you have separated flow, there's not a lot you can do with it. So a wing positioned in separated flow won't be doing much. A spoiler positioned in separated flow won't be doing much. An under tray in separated flow won't be doing much. And so you use tufting to work out where you have your separated and attached flows. And what you're trying to achieve is attached flows, because then you can do something with the flow more readily than you can with separated flow. And also attached flows generally will typically give you lower drag. And so tough testing, while it sounds incredibly simple, and it is incredibly simple, because it can show you airflow directions and it can show you the presence of where there is attached and separated flow is extraordinarily powerful. People way underestimate tough testing as a, a, a zero cost, quick and easy way of actually seeing what's going on. Wow. Okay. So, because you do see, and this is the, like the naive uh, bit of me looking at, you know, I look at cars and people have uh, made modifications and they're clearly trying to manipulate the aerodynamics in some way. They, uh, they, they've changed uh, the shape of, I don't know, the, the, in, in our case, the sort of the, the wheel covers or there's, uh, there's, there's work that they've done on trying to smooth things out or there's work that they've done on adding, um, yeah, some of these features that, in, you know, like a spoiler or something like that, that, that they're hoping is going to add some downforce. And, and often um, the, the criteria for working out whether or not it's worked is the driver. And it's like, well, you know, can the driver feel any different? And if you spent a lot of time and effort making something, you know, there's a bit of a, a potential bias there in the thing of like, oh, well, I think it made a difference. I don't know. But, but it's because it's, you don't want to make it worse, do you? You don't want to make, like, we, we're all here. We, we want a faster lap time, right? We want a faster lap time with a more predictable car. So we're going to enjoy ourselves a bit more. Uh, and you don't want to make it worse than what you started. But equally, you know, you wonder whether these kind of additions are, are actually working. And so what you're suggesting here with the tough testing is that you can use that, this very simple tool to try and work out, well, actually, yeah, it's making no difference or it, it is making a difference. There are actually better tools to see if it's making a difference or not. Tough testing is almost the first tool. To, so let's find out okay. where the airflow yeah. is going and whether it's attached or separated because then subsequently we can make more logical decisions about what aerodynamic modifications to make. Oh, so it's the okay. very so preliminary. Yeah, and then let's see. Right, okay. So, so for example, um, let's say that we um, are running tufts down the uh, top of a car. Yeah. And let's say the transition from the roof to the rear window on a sedan-based race car is too steep. And therefore, we find we have airflow separation occurring at the end of the roof. Yeah. That would place the whole of the rear window and the whole of the trunk lid, boot lid, in separated flow. So we get to say to ourselves, okay, so a spoiler on the back of that uh, trunk or boot lid will achieve very little. A right. wing to be in clean air is going to have to be pretty darn high. Okay, so we're not going to spend ages um, shaping a boot spoiler or trunk spoiler if in fact it's already in separated flow or 
and 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 much more interesting is under the car where you can achieve so much in terms of uh, reducing lift and getting downforce under the car is where everyone who's an amateur should be working first um, uh-huh. if we look under the car and we just have a massive separated flow and then you know you do need to have a GoPro to see that then you say well okay gee this is where we need to be start putting in some work uh, in order to um, give give downforce so tough testing because it's free because it's quick because it's easy and because it's so illuminating is the very very first aerodynamic test you should do whether you're developing a solar race car, whether you're developing a um, sedan-based race car, whatever you're developing, um, tough testing is the very, very first step. Okay. And so, because what I have, I've done a bit with, uh, again, because it, it links with suspension, is is having, uh, so, and not everyone has this, but like a ride height sensor on, on, the, on the suspension, and you can kind of look at, like, okay, well, this is the, the pitch, angle of the car as i'm driving along uh, and that you know th- that's influenced by well one of the influences is the aerodynamics so you can adjust your aerodynamics and it adjusts your your pitch so would that would that be sort of the, the logical next step because those those, those uh, sensors can be can be quite expensive to 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 add so is there a, it's quite a big jump from notionally free uh ball of wool and a bit of tape to no, the, something else yeah yeah, down downforce testing, which is what I use the suspension sensors for, is your third step. So your second step after tough testing, tough testing gives you your global air flows, gives you your separated and attached flows, gives you airflow directions, right? Second test is pressure testing. And so all the lift and downforce, all almost all of the drag, 80 to 90% of the drag is caused by pressure variations over the car. Okay, so if you have a higher pressure on the top surfaces than you have on the bottom surfaces, you will get downforce. If you have a higher pressure on the bottom surfaces than the top surfaces, you'll get lift. If you have a higher pressure on saying. the front that's, of the car... That's the, why you're saying so much work, you should focus on the on the underfloor of your yeah. car first yeah. because you're basically, rather than, rather than sort of, I suppose, just to, just to explicitly say this, rather than thinking, oh, I need to push the car down with these wings... You're, think, you're flipping that and saying, actually, if I create a low pressure zone under the car, it's going to suck yep. itself down on the car, no matter what, on the ground, no matter what, what I've got on the top. Not yeah. quite no matter what, but, but that's certainly a thing. But, but the point is that's being made is all these are pressures, okay? The, the drag, the lift, the downforce are all based on pressures. And if we can measure those pressures directly, we can therefore work out what's going on and we can work out what our modifications do. So what you would typically do as the second step after tough testing is you would do a measurement of centerline pressures, the centerline of the car, along the top and along the bottom. Now, measuring aerodynamic pressures, aerodynamic pressures are very small, but measuring aerodynamic pressures is achievable, it's easy, it's accurate, and it costs under $100 US if you buy a few secondhand bits. If you buy everything brand new, it's probably about 300 US dollars. Now, that suddenly puts into the hands of any amateur the ability to see what normally can be seen only in a wind tunnel. What is it? So, what is it just, and I forgive my naivety, but what sensor does the. Well, <laughs> well what, what we do. I should know the answer to this. I'm thinking. No, 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 no. Things. Very few people do. Very few people yeah, do. Things, though, the, that, what's it, they're called uh, the, the pitot tubes and things, but that's not what we're talking yeah. about. 
It is. It is. So, so what we need is it's all done with no electronics. Okay, no electronics whatsoever. You can do it with electronics, but it just costs a great deal more. So what we need is we need a pressure sensing patch, which is like a little coin with a hole drilled in the top and a little tube that goes in the side. And you can make your own, and I'll show you how to make your own in the book, but it's cheaper and easier, or not cheaper, but certainly easier to buy a professional one. The skinny valve ones are extremely good. So you end up with this little coin-style patch that you stick to your car and because it's thin enough, you're actually measuring the surface pressure. So that's our pressure sensor. It's just a little patch with a hole in it, a little aluminium disc. Now, what we do is we run a tube from that into the cabin, and we connect it to a gauge. And it's a very, very sensitive pressure gauge, a differential gauge called a magnahelic gauge. And that has the ability to measure these very, very small aerodynamic pressures. But it's a differential gauge. It's measuring the pressure patch compared with something else. And if we compare the pressure with the cabin pressure, that's no good because the cabin pressure is going up and down depending on your speed. So we need to compare the pressure we're measuring on the body surface with atmospheric pressure. And we sense that through a pitot tube, through what's called the static ports on a pitot tube. Now, I use pitot tube, which is sold for use in model aircraft, 25 US dollars. I use the pressure measuring patch from Scanny Valve, oh, I don't know, 10 US dollars. I use the magnahelic gauge, maybe 30 US dollars. And so for under 100 US dollars, you can measure the pressure at one point on the bodywork. Now, you would typically measure, say, 14 centerline pressures across the top I of really the car. Think, yeah. Yep. And three or four under the car. So this is not a test that you can do in 30 seconds. No. It's certainly a test you can do in an hour. And, and then you know the body pressure's on top, you know the body pressure's underneath. Now, let's say we're measuring the body pressures on top and they're all fairly low because they probably will be as the airflow wraps around the top of the car. Yeah. And then we're measuring the pressures under the car and they're not nearly as low. Oh, dear me, this car's got lift. Yeah. Right? There's, <laughs> there's lower pressures on top than underneath. Yeah. So what we then do, and that's a typical scenario, what we then do is we say, all right, how can we get low pressures under the car and how can we measure that we're actually achieving that? And if you look under most amateur race cars, uh, I'm not that familiar with open wheelers, but certainly most sedan-based um, amateur race cars, their underside is just a dog's breakfast. They might have this little... <laughs> that's, an might official, have this, that's an official term. Yeah, it is. They might have this little under tray that goes for like 500 mils at the front, and they might have some fake diffusers stuck on the back, and it's yeah. as rough as anything in between. Yeah. And if we measure the pressures, we don't have to guess. If we measure the pressures, we'll see that the pressures under the car aren't very low. And that's because the airflow is not traveling fast. The faster the airflow, the lower the pressure. And if we've got really rough underside to a car, we're not going to get that fast airflow. And so... A lot, of, a lot of it gets sucked into the engine bay and it sort of all stalls in that in that area and it's just sort of blockages and things. Right, okay, yeah, I get this. So, so, well, actually, the airflow coming out of the engine bay is causing a lot of your problems because, of course, that's where most engine airflow comes out, it comes through the radiators, spills out under the car, right? So you're really upsetting flow under the car. So if we say, all right, we'll put the car up on a hoist, we're going to put a full-length under tray, smooth as we can make it from front to back, and yeah. then we're going to just lift it up a little bit at the back, a diffuser, it doesn't even need strakes, a little bit at the back, and now we're going to measure what the pressure is under the car. 
we will find it much, much, much lower than it was before. And that's pulling the car downwards. And because we're talking about such a big area, that's the key thing with aerodynamics. Your pressure multiplied by your area gives you your force. And if we're talking about many square meters under a car, we only have to get the pressure a little bit lower than atmospheric, and we're developing a much bigger force than we would, say, on a spoiler or even often a small wing. And I think and so, that, that's a really good point that you make. So you just drop that in there, like it's it's kind of common knowledge, but it's it's not. And it, and I think one of the one of the elements around using sort of engineering and maths and stuff to do anything to do with a race car is just to understand. Uh, for me, anyway, it's a it's a means to an end. So to understand the, some of the sensitivities of uh, the changes that we make. So it can be like we can change. I don't know in my world, like the springs, or we can change the tire pressures, or something like that. But it's it's, and we know intuitively that that's going to make this kind of difference. Hopefully, yeah. If you've spent some time and looked at it and maybe read some of the stuff that I've done, but you don't necessarily know by what amount. Yeah, you don't know. It's like, well, so all, these are all great ideas, but where do I start? So that's really fascinating what you just said there about if you can make this area under the car, well, you've got a big area under the car, like most cars, yeah. But if you can make the work, this in effect, this working area just that little bit better, you'll get a significant contribution, uh, much more than like the wings. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it gets even better because because you're measuring real pressures, you can do the calculations and actually work out how many kilograms of downforce you're getting under the car just by measuring the area you're working with and the pressure. Yeah. And yeah. this gauge reads off the pressure. You just do a few calculations and you can say, okay, so a concrete example, I did a little front under tray on my uh, front wheel drive uh, hot hatch and uh, you know something like 30 kilograms of downforce at uh, 120 kilometers an hour just by getting the curve right under there. So you can actually quantify it quite easily. And so measuring pressures under the car, on top of the car, and then making modifications and measuring the change in pressure allows you to see exactly how effective what you're doing actually is. And so, for example, yeah. people go on a lot about what angle should the uh, rear diffuser be? But all you do is you put a bit of plywood there and you just change the angle as you're measuring the pressures. And so well, you can very quickly work it out. What's the optimum angle for my car at my ride height just by measuring the pressure under the car and changing that angle? So so this, this is – I'm so pleased you you, you brought that up. And, um, and I'm going to talk about Rob again because um, he he, uh, he used to – he's like a master of – sticky tape and cardboard and uh, <laughs> and, yep. and i was like what do you mean it's like well you know we've got these people like so making all these carbon bits and pieces for the wind tunnel and stuff like that and i'm out there with the cardboard and stuff because i just want something quick that i can iterate on and then once i've got a a design that i'm comfortable with then i go and make it out of carbon or, or, or aluminium or whatever and, yeah, just- and and i think that's a nice thing so so uh, one of the things I, I talk about is, is is going to on a test day with with a plan, and so in here you can almost have a a set of you you know you're trying to map your current car, and then you can imagine you can use all your imagination and think well if it's like this what kind of what kind of change would we make, and then you can kind of have that pre done in in bits of cardboard and sticky tape, and then see the effect of it. Because what's lovely though, because you're using a bit of data here, is that you can actually see actually no that's making no difference or yeah. Uh, yeah, that has made that has made some difference. That sort of bed that in in a more permanent fix. 
With yeah, look, absolutely. But with with the sort of cars we're talking about, probably plywood, marine plywood, rather than cardboard, we are developing some some major forces on some of these undertrays, even at like a hundred kilometres an hour or eighty, ninety, a hundred is where I t- typically test these. Very easy to quantify it. Uh, whatever force you get at a hundred, you have four times the force at two hundred. So if you're you know getting fifty yeah, kilograms at one hundred, you've got four times fifty at two hundred. So easy easy to work out what you would get at a higher speed. But it, the, the beauty of what we're describing is you can immediately see if what you are doing is making things better or worse. Yeah. And it it takes away the guesswork and the rules of thumb and copying what someone else does and assuming that that will therefore make it better. And once you start doing this sort of testing, you, you soon realize that things aren't as people often say. Um, so, for example, <laughs> on, it, it's true. I'm, on, I'm on, laughing uh, because actually I read, I read the intro to your, uh, to your book and because yeah. you, you mentioned the folklore and, and uh, the sort of the rules of thumb and such. And then basically that's my whole, my whole uh, day job is, is to helping people with that from a, more from a suspension and a data point of view, perhaps, but, but it's exactly the same thing. And you just really want to release people from this, this kind of the guesswork. And, 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 and often, like you say, so much stuff is counterintuitive. Yes. And you just, and, and you wouldn't know that unless you take a maybe a more scientific approach. And this is what we're talking about is my, it's, it is a science experiment. Um, people don't are put off a little bit by that, that idea, I think, because maybe they didn't enjoy science at school. Uh, but the, you know, but we are trying to iterate in a, in a sort of objective way. Um, but it just, I focus on the, 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 um, the, the confidence that you have in, the, the, the decisions you're going to make on what changes you've got rather than always having that question in the back of your mind about, well, well kind of it looks right. Or they said this, and I think I must, I, I should copy them for that reason because they, they're, they're doing well. So I'll copy them, but they may not I'll, understand I'll, it either. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you a concrete example. Many people will say that deep side skirts will improve the effectiveness of an undertray in terms of reducing pressure. On one of my road cars, it made absolutely no difference, no difference whatsoever. And I experimented with side skirts that came down low enough to nearly touch the road. On that car, and I'm not saying it will be the same on another car, on that car, at that ride height, it made no difference. But I ended up using two curved strakes that went around the rear wheels, and that measurably reduced the pressure acting on the diffuser. In other words, it was better pulling the car down. So it's a, a concrete example where um, two hours of testing, two hours of testing in this case on the road with with plywood uh, and tape, and uh, I didn't even have to move the measuring puck, so I just kept reading the gauge in the same place and made the changes, and and that showed what would be. Were the you case. surprised? So 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 talk us through that. Process. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There there would there wouldn't be a, a test, an aerodynamic test I have ever done that uh, I knew the answer before I did it. <laughs> And um, um, that there are there are so many tests that you do where you look at the data that you've written down or just read the meter and write it down and you think, wow, I'm going to do that again because that doesn't seem to make sense. You yeah. do it again, exactly the same results are achieved. So um, the, the, the key point is uh, you're tough testing for your overview, but you're pressure testing when you're actually seeing what's going on in terms of the forces causing lift, downforce, drag, and thrust. Because, of course, you can also get thrust on front surfaces of a car. So uh, the opposite of drag. 
And and those are the things. And 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 if we move to the top of the car, we're talking about the bottom of the car. But if we move to the top of the car, um, you, you can just test different heights of rear spoiler and measure the pressure increase that's occurring on the bodywork ahead of it. And so you can actually say, well, I, I put a thirty mil a thirty millimeter spoiler there, and it made X difference. I doubled it to sixty millimeters, but the pressure didn't double. You know, therefore, I don't need to go for a bigger and bigger spoiler. Uh, one of that height is effective. And if we go to the front of the car, one of the tests I did for the book just stunned me, and that is I was always a bit sceptical of, of front uh, splitters as giving yeah. massive downforce, because if you look at them, uh, you can only achieve on the top of the splitter what's called the stagnation pressure when the air is brought to a halt at the front of the car, and getting a really low pressure under the splitter looked to me to be a bit problematic. So I did some testing, and it worked extraordinarily well, and in fact, uh, Dr. Thomas Wolfe of Porsche was kind enough to point out why it works so well, and that is because you got very strong vortices occurring under the front splitter, and that reduced the pressure even more than I had expected. Oh, but that's an example. Okay. Yeah, that's an example of testing um, an aerodynamic device and actually seeing what it does. And in that case, I was very, very surprised. And, uh, um, you know, I, I recount some of that surprise in the book. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, Thomas Wolf um, um, pointed out to me that uh, they always double bolted all the slitters on in the wind tunnel after they lost a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, they just, the... they've come off. <laughs> yes. Double bolted was his his expression when I when I was so surprised at how much downforce this this little front splitter was actually giving on on one of my test cars. So yes, I'm very often surprised, and I think that's good because um, it, yeah. it shows that you never stop learning. You know, there are always never surprises stop. when you do that testing. I think it's, it's, it's um, and I think that's the that's the, the thing. I mean, if you've been humbled enough over the years to, to sort of go, yes, this is going to happen, and then it, the exact opposite happens, it, it sort of humbles you uh, immediately. And so from then on, it's just a case, well, I think, you know, yes. strongly believe that this is the situation, but you're open-minded to it being completely different. Yeah. So, so the third one, you've got tough testing, you've got pressure testing. The third one is downforce testing, where you directly test what downforce or lift the body's giving. And you mentioned suspension ride height sensors. That, that's, I think, the best approach for actually yes. measuring downforce and, and lift. And in fact, it, it doesn't have to be expensive at all. If you uh, use the potentiometer-based ride height sensors from a car with air suspension, they all have them fitted as standard. If you use uh, one of those sensors or, or one on the front or one on the back um, and, and feed it at regulated voltage, you can you can simply measure ride height off with a multimeter. So it's actually very, very cheap. Now, if you're running a car with very stiff suspension, as most race cars would, you would typically have to fit soft springs while you were testing that. Uh, only has to be at a reasonably, um, you know, 100 kilometres an hour in a straight line. Wait, is, that, is that just sort of get, get the resolution... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you want you want um um the sensor or you want the suspension. So so let's take a step back. Yeah. If the car is developing um, downforce, the bodywork will compress the springs as you go faster. Ride height will get less as you go faster. Okay, and that's what we're measuring when we're measuring um, ride height with a, a suspension sensor. And if the springs are very stiff, then obviously the deflection as you go faster will be very, very small. I, I did have one person write to me once, and they were they were testing their road car, um, and they said, I can measure no downforce, and yet theoretically I should be getting a lot. And uh, it turned out his suspension was so stiff 
that when his wife got in the passenger seat, there was no measurable suspension deflection. And so you've yeah, got, okay. I don't know, 60, 70 kilograms or whatever getting in and there's no measurable suspension deflection, then obviously you'd have to have massive amounts of downforce to be able to, to measure anything. So you need to have have suspension that, that's still got some movement when you know you put in 30 or 40 or 50 kilograms. But and the other part of, of downforce testing using suspension ride height sensors is you have to smooth the signal. Um, and in, in my book, I, I do some very simple electronic circuits that are smoothing circuits. If you've got a motorsport car and you've got an analog input into a digital dash, you can smooth it in the software, of course. Um, but um, downforce testing... Is yeah, just because it's, right. it's quite noisy and then you can filter. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah you want an average. That people can grab, you know, Butterworth or... or or moving averages, these kind of things, just to yeah. sort of smooth yeah. out. Yeah. You know, I, I just use a, a very simple um, capacitor resistor um, uh, smoothing circuit, which is, is really, really simple and really cheap to make and works quite well. Um, and um, basically, uh, you, you want to see that um, height settle and yeah. not be um, um, upset by all the bumps you're going over. But, you know, if, if you do it well um, and you have rigid mounts for your, your ride height sensor and all that, it has to be done mechanically well as well as electronically, you can you can measure one millimetre changes in average ride height. And, uh, um, you know, that you then can quantify that. Um, how many kilograms does it take to deflect your suspension by one millimetre at a slow speed compared with that fast speed? And it's a very, very effective way of doing it. Um, and uh, I guess the other point that I'd make is if, if you don't want to fit a ride height sensor, you can use a laser sensor. So I use a laser ride height sensor as well that just looks at the road, but it sounds more elegant, but because tires grow with speed, you've got a, something else happening there as well, which makes it a bit more complicated. So I, I, I would prefer um, just to use a suspension ride height sensor. And so you, you, you can, do your tough testing, you can do your pressure testing, you can then make your modifications based on the pressure testing results that well, should give you the downforce that you then measure with those sensors. Yeah. So it's a sequence of events. Got you. Okay, so there's, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, jump. Yeah, okay. There's no um, random, let's try this and, oh, look, it changed the ride height. It's actually a sequence of events which leads you almost certainly to be achieving those results that you want when you get to the downforce measuring stage. So, and the other thing that sort of popped into my head as a handling kind of guy uh, is is the effect on your car balance with these different with these things. Because I can imagine, by the sound of it, with your front splitter, you've 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 got quite a lot more on the front uh, mm -hmm. now than you had at the back. And so, so the the dynamicist in my head is going, "Oh my god, you know what what happens when we get to a corner?" So, I guess there's there's um. As rolling rolling that all together, there's, you're giving yourself some tools here to sort of balance both the overall contribution of uh, lift or or downforce or whatever the the term people want to use for it, uh, but also the balance of that front to rear such that you're not you know compromising uh your ability to drive around the corner because <laughs> you want you want more downforce so you can go quicker, but equally it needs to be balanced uh there, there are some interesting complexities in that so for example yeah. where is the downforce being developed in a front splitter it's been developed well ahead of the front wheels the center of pressure is well ahead of the front wheels and so you're causing lift at the back yeah okay 
with a rear wing that's positioned rearwards of the rear wing, the rear wheels, you are causing front lift. Yes. Yeah. So it, it, you you not only um, um, are changing overall downforce, you may be influencing the downforce at the other end. The, the other yeah. point that makes it really interesting is let's say you've got an understeering car and you decide you want to give more um, front downforce to dial out that understeer, you then dial it out only on high-speed corners. What happens on slow-speed corners where you're getting vastly less downforce from your aerodynamic attachments than you have a pig understeer on low-speed corners? And let's say, okay, I'm going to fit a, a stiffer rear anti-roll bar to get rid of my low-speed understeer. All right, what happens at high speed? So really, um, the, the, the front and rear downforce that you're aiming for um, really has to, to largely match the weight distribution and the car handling at all speeds. Otherwise, you end up where you've got quite different results at high speeds versus low speeds because the forces go up um, much, much faster for aerodynamics. You, you see what I'm saying? It, it makes, makes it rather interesting. Welcome to my world. <laughs> That's what I'm yeah. Say. Well, I, well, I write about suspension as well, so I, I do do a little bit on suspension as as well as the aerodynamics. But uh, um, it, this this is this is germane because on that little hot hatch I was talking about, yeah. when I gave it thirty kilograms of front downforce at a hundred, um, yeah, it was it was good at uh, high speed, but uh, um, at low speed it, it it's it's understeered a great deal because it wasn't getting that downforce you see at the front. So anyway, I, I ended up making a, a rear wing for that car as well to get it a bit more balanced in, in both high and low speeds. And uh, the rear wing is interesting because that leads me to my, my final testing technique, this and is that drag. is testing for yeah. drag. Yeah. So drag testing is, is, is the most difficult of the four. Is this and your coast down stuff? Thinking yeah, of? well, well, coast downs are very good unless you actually try and get it accurate. So coast yeah. downs are massively uh, overrated. I know a lot of uh, Formula SAE teams uh, have used it in the past and swear by it. Um, just see what consistency you get. Do 10 coast downs and see what your, your, your scatter is. And you'll, you'll typically find the scatter is massive. And there are a few ways of improving coast downs. One is to do it from a very high speed to a lower, but still very high speed. So the aerodynamic forces are dominating over rolling resistance. But... Um, I mean, we talked about Rob. Rob talked in the book about having to do a hundred coast downs to get to get uh, data that was valid. A hundred, and no one does a hundred. So, so just I, for I, the I, benefit of people, I've just I've just realised not everyone may know what a coast down test is. I just sort of dropped it in there. But um, so my understanding of a coast down test is you drive along at a a speed, uh, and then you and then you basically lift off and you wait and then you you monitor how far how. Uh, the, the deceleration over time uh, for your car. So between, I don't know, 100, you're at 100 miles an hour and you go to 50, or maybe in your case, you suggest to go a bit quicker if you can, but so 100 miles an hour to 50, and then that gives you a, a, a gradient. And then the idea is that that's the drag. The only thing that's slowing you down is the drag, is, is, is my understanding of that. Um, but what you're saying is that the, that the variability in that could be quite significant. Yeah, a few few points. You're normally in neutral, not not letting the engine slow you down. So you normally yep. select neutral. Um, and the other thing is, um, yes, you you have your retardation that force, but you've also then got to remove the effect of uh, rotational inertia in the drive line, which is trying to push you along. 
and also frictional drag of the tires. And so you got a few figures in there that you suddenly have to get from somewhere and, and insert into the data. And in 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 the book, uh, Rob Palin actually has a whole page where he discusses the problems of data fitting curves in coast downs. It's a terribly <laughs> imprecise way of doing it. And, and what I have found in my testing is that the ambient conditions just stuff it. Uh, any slight crosswinds uh, and you never get dead calm days any any slight crosswinds and you get variations that are just enormous a friend of mine have just made a tunnel have you seen the tunnel the catsby tunnel yeah i have some concerns about the blockage factor in that tunnel but uh that's maybe a topic for another time oh no Um, it's quite small isn't it yeah so they they, uh, just for the benefit of people listening uh they've 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 converted an old railway tunnel into uh uh, a, a a a a testing aerodynamic testing environment where you can just drive in because you're in a tunnel. There's no crosswinds or, uh, in theory, a much more controlled environment from ambient and temperature point of view. So, so just trying to they're trying to deal with some of the issues that you mentioned there with doing this real world testing. So, yeah. So, so, so what, I, yeah. what I what I su- what I suggest people do um, is there there are two effective ways of testing for drag variation. Not, neither of them will give you a drag coefficient. That can really only be determined in a wind tunnel, a full-size wind tunnel. But if you're testing for variations in drag, so you've put on a, a, a front spoiler or a rear spoiler or an undertray and you want to see what the difference is in drag, there's two main ways of doing it, which I think are accurate. And one takes forever, and that's uh, fuel consumption testing, mileage testing, um, where you know you do 400 laps or whatever it might be. Yeah, well, I was um, going to say, that's going to take a while, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other approach, the one that uh, I've come up with, which is very effective, is what I call throttle stop testing. So the approach is you limit engine output to a small value, and then you measure the change in top speed with different aerodynamic variations. And so, for example, it's called a throttle stop testing because you can literally use a throttle stop and you might limit um, throttle to 10%. What is your top speed at uh, 10% throttle on a straight level um, road or track where you reach your terminal speed and it just sits there? And that's the key point. It sits there. So typically when I'm testing on the road, I set the throttle stop so that it gives me 100 kilometres an hour um, so I can can stay within local speed limits. And it'll stay, this is a (laughs) GPS measure, it'll stay at 100, 100, 100 100.5, 100, it'll just stay there, okay? And then you go back to the beginning, you do another run. And unlike coast downs, it'll be 100, 100 100.5 the second time around, the third, the fourth. It's extremely consistent. Now, if you're doing throttle stop testing and your second run unchanged is 104 or 95, you're not doing it right. You, you've got too many variations. But if you right. get it to to well within one percent on on you know um, re- repetitive um, throttle stop testing with no aerodynamic changes, you're onto a good thing. Then you make your aerodynamic change. You put on your under tray. You change the angle of your wing. You do whatever you want, and you do it again. And you, you will very often see a change in speed. If you've reduced drag, the speed will be higher. I said 100 before, it might be 102. If you've yep. increased drag, the speed will be lower. And if you want to really see the effect, uh, adjust the rear wing, and so it becomes an air brake. And yep. as you increase the angle of the rear wing, it, A, then becomes stalled, and then B, becomes stalled in the air brake, you'll watch that terminal speed just drop away. Okay, it's a dramatic increase in drag. And so there's a dramatic um, decrease in terminal speed. 
So throttle stop testing won't show you variations in drag of less than a couple of percent, and then that's a, a, a disadvantage. But any change in drag uh, that's greater than a couple of percent will typically show up with throttle stop testing. And the other point to make, of course, is you have to be using an engine where a fixed throttle angle gives you a fixed output. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if you have a hybrid car or something like that, um, uh, all, all sorts of uh, electronic uh, active throttle control, um, you know, a fixed uh, accelerator pedal angle might not necessarily give you a fixed throttle blade um, opening. So you need to be aware that that's not changing. So you kind of so so just to recap on that because I love that one. I read actually I remember reading about that in your book. It, it was it was like and I, I'm glad you explained it because it it didn't because it was kind of new. I was like I didn't quite understand. So now I do. I to, well, well, I think I do. So let me repeat it back to you to see if I have understood. It. How about that? Um, so the idea is that you you um, you have a fixed throttle position which you can use with a throttle stop. Hopefully, some people have got adjustable ones, so you know you could position it so that your throttle position is always in the same place you drive along i don't know third or fourth gear in that in that uh at that throttle amount to a, 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 a velocity or a speed that's reasonably quick so so sort of a, like if uh, you're not going to do this at 10 miles an hour are you going to be it's got, it needs to be it needs to be sort of what so the, so the highest possible gear so that the engine speed is relatively low, yeah, and and as fast as you can. Like if if you are in a location where you can do 150 kilometers an hour, you set the throttle stop so you can get to 150, but you have to have room to hold it at that speed. Now, if you throw how, how in long corners, are you holding it for? How long are you holding? Ten seconds, just enough to see it's actually settled or that it's, it's holding and it's not yeah. changing. So if if you've got corners. Um, you, you're going to, you know, scrub off speed on the corners. That, that won't be any good. It has to be straight and it has to be a repeatable. It doesn't have to be dead level because you can come back to the beginning each time through the repetitive yeah. ones. And furthermore, and this is um, perhaps extending the idea, furthermore, it doesn't even have to be steel conditions because if you do this testing in windy conditions, gusty windy conditions, you can see the aerodynamic drag that's occurring in real world your wind, in other words, in crosswinds. And that is fascinating because that's, it's an, a whole that's bunch. almost like its own test, isn't it? In its own right. Yeah. You're not even trying to you're not even trying to change the, the car. You're just trying to see how sensitive it is when it well, have these when, conditions. Yeah. Even, even if you even if you do change the car. So I'll give you a concrete example. Air curtains are used on all modern cars to reduce front wheel drag. So an air curtain what's, what's an air curtain? Is, is a slot at each side of the front bumper. And it yeah. feeds air through to a slot in front of the tire, and that directs air around the tire, um, therefore giving better uh, flow attachment on the rotating wheel and also better flow attachment on the panel behind the wheel. Now, like air curtains, fantastic. If you do testing, you'll find that with no yaw, with just going straight into the wind, they work, but not greatly. But if you add a yaw component, a crosswind component, you'll find the air curtains make a dramatic difference to how well the flow stays attached behind the, um, the wheels and the side panels. And if you do throttle stop testing with air curtains in place and blocked, you can actually often see a difference in speed if it's a windy day, not if there's no wind. So yeah, people, people talk about wind tunnels. Wind tunnels have got very little turbulence. They sometimes have your because they position the car at an angle, but often not. Okay. Whereas testing in this description, in this this approach, 
on a windy day, you're actually testing everything for real. And, and that's what makes it so exciting and interesting and more difficult. You know, I know why manufacturers use wind tunnels. It's such a controlled environment. But here, you're out in the real uncontrolled environment, which is our reality yeah. in which we live, work, and play and drive cars. And so it's very, very interesting to do it that way. So, yeah, high gear. Um, if you can go faster than 100, by all means, do so. If you can do 150 okay. and have room to reach that terminal speed, do it 150. Great. All the aerodynamic forces are greater, so you're going to see bigger changes. Yeah. Um, but but it has to be repeatable. You know, you have to do four or five runs where you've made no change to the car and you're getting almost exactly the same speed, and you will be able to achieve that if if, if you do your tests in exactly the same way. So yeah. for me, I've got a local bit of straight road, which has now been largely bypassed by a freeway. So I head off to my local bit of straight road. I accelerate from a tree on the next to the road. <laughs> I reach I reach the speed at which I move to the throttle stop opposite another tree. And then at a tree about a mile down the road, I read my speed. Now that all might sound rather basic, but it means you can do the test identically every single time. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the main thing for any testing, isn't it? It's just that reliability. Yeah. Because yeah. you want to you want to make sure that, that the numbers you're looking at are are reliable. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's so good. so uh, it, it and, and you know, look, I, if I'm doing lots of testing, I might lose concentration. Oh damn, I missed the tree. Oh well, I'll turn around and go back to the beginning. You know, I missed the point at which I moved to full throttle. So. This testing, I, I have um, had people write to me and said, uh, you know, I've, I've tried your throttle stop testing and the speeds are all over the place. And I say, well, how did you do it exactly? And they say, yeah. oh, I don't know. I just drove down the road. And and that won't work. It, it, this is the trickiest test. Of the four tests that I've described, this is by far the trickiest. Yeah. But the throttle stop testing, um, I'm confident, um, is, is very effective. And it, incidentally, if you are testing a car, here's a really easy way of, of seeing you're on the right track. Let's say it is a road car. Do your tests and then wind all the windows down and do another test. And you will find the drag has gone up considerably, yeah. typically around 10% with all the windows down, and you'll see that difference in the speed. So yeah. it's, a, it's an easy way of seeing if you're on the right track. It's almost, like, it's, it's almost like another calibration you can do, isn't it? In yeah. a way, you can yeah. sort of go, right. You know where are we today? Oh, that's, yeah, it's really and and you know what from from a motorsports point of view, um, <laughs> I mean the irony of this is it actually brings us closer to what we want. Like we don't really care about drag coefficients; we care about going faster in a straight line. <laughs> well, sure, but, 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 you know we 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 care we care about going faster around the lap. You know, and um, uh, so so this is quite explicit in a way because you can go well. This is as fast as my car can go. Or you know, or within you know repeatable environment, and um, I'm doing all this work, and it's not making any difference to my top speed, uh, or it it has made a difference to my top speed. Therefore, and 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 one of the things is um, uh, from a from a learning point of view, and this is an, another point that I. I try and make all the time is that even if it doesn't make a difference to your top speed, that you've still learned something and it means you can kind of forget about that and move on to something else. Mm. Otherwise, what, what I've seen it so often is that people have these sort of nagging pet um, projects in their mind that they, you know, they, they, they get obsessed about, they really want to like pursue something and for whatever reason they're frustrated by, by, or they, they optimize into a, into a cul-de-sac in a way. Um, and in this sense, it's kind of like, I mean, if, I mean, my car, 
it would be an interesting uh, exercise, but I have a feeling that um, it's not going to make, well, my hypothesis would be it's not going to make uh, a huge amount of difference because it's so bad to start with uh, and we're so limited to what can change. So. There are race cars where drag makes a huge difference. Um, uh, solar race cars, low drag solar race cars, human powered yeah. vehicle racing, uh, and also Bonneville, Salt Lake, uh, high speed sure. events. Uh, yeah. Drag makes an enormous difference to the uh, performance in each of those cases, and and this is uh, a technique where, um, especially when you're going in a, in a straight line or you're very limited in the power that's available, you can make uh, um, um, noticeable and I, I would suggest even dramatic um, changes in in what can be achieved. So again, um, depends what type of racing you're looking at. Um, yeah. If you're going around lots of corners, reducing drag is going to be a lot less important than gaining downforce. But if you're going largely in a straight line or you're very limited in available power, then reducing drag is very, very important. Oh, this has been absolutely fantastic. I, I could talk to you all day about this. I mean, because it's it, it, it's two things. There's, 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 the, there's these actual very practical things that I'm, I'm hoping anyone listening can go away and, and try and do, but also that the mindset side of it in the sense of just trying to understand well why are we doing this and um we're not again like just to re- reiterate that sort of sensitivity side of things it's like well yes it's not going to make it worse but there are other things that might be better off for your time or investment and things like that so but what's nice is you'll be able to quantify some of these things uh and i think that that's so refreshing so look i'm um, I'm just looking at the time. Uh, thank you uh, again for 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 taking the time uh, to join us and share uh, this fascinating um, process and knowledge. Um, I just I just really appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone listening will. Uh, we'll see a lot of cars with, with with. There'll be a run on on bulls of wool. The local knitting shop. I hope so. Sure. I hope so. <laughs> it's the most intriguing testing you can do. And if you haven't tough tested to all those people listening, it really is extraordinarily informative and very easy and very cheap. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm privileged to have someone as enthusiastic as Julian on the show. For him to share in such detail step-by-step ways you can go and try and improve the aerodynamics of your car. I think it's absolutely fascinating what he has proposed and suggested. So I hope it should be run on wool and all sorts of uh, pressure testing kit in the near future. If you give it a go, be sure to let me know how you get on. And I hope you very much enjoyed this episode. You may know that at the end of season one, I wrote the Motorsports Playbook, a summary distilling the first 20 shows into nuggets of wisdom. I made the notes so that you don't have to. If you've not got it yet, go and grab yourself a copy from the website. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and visit us at yourdatadriven.com.